0: If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Big Ben Strong is on the board while Willerskin is booking the guests. In the legendary CHML newsroom, Dave Woodard and Jennifer McQueen. It's a good thing Taylor Swift was at the Super Bowl. That was the only thing that kept us awake until OT.
0: Here, Scott Thompson. And you know, I I was at a friend's house, and we're all there, and uh, and, and there was tons of kids, <laughs> and and they had all the food. Uh, anyway, so uh, and and people were lined up in front of the TV and stuff, and and then I remember looking over. I'm sitting next to I mean, and then we look back, and there's nobody there. <laughs> Somebody's like playing pool. <laughs> where where did everybody go? and then of course uh ot it uh it picks up and it's a whole it's a whole different game as they say uh but anyway uh the, the taylor swift factor i don't know i think that's the only thing that woke me up uh in, until the very end of, uh, and whenever screaming oh is a touch oh no it's just taylor swift uh was it another uh, no just another ground play <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but we were chatting, Ben and I, off air about, uh, you know, just Taylor Swift and the impact. And, we you know, you've heard it all, whatever. My kids were joking around about, you know, they were betting whether they would uh, propose, whether she would wear this or wear that. Or there's bets on everything, uh, it certainly appeared. So, um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, she's brought a lot of eyes to the sport. Whether, you know, that upsets the purists, I don't know. Uh, I think what upset the purist most is probably a little shove between her boyfriend and the coach. But that's another story. But Bennett, an interesting uh, scenario with some friends in the United States who have jumped on board all of this. Tell your story about the jerseys.
2: So his uh, his wife decided to make his family of six. Uh, they had all gotten custom T-shirts that just say, go Taylor's boyfriend. That's it.
0: So, no logo, no. No
2: logo, no reference to the NFL. But all the in the colors. City Chiefs, it had the colors. But that was about it. You get the yeah. gist, you know who. Taylor Swift is. That's the important part of whoever the that night, guy's, right? whoever whoever
0: guys that, whatever team that guys is. That's the one we're going with. Yeah. That's the one right there. That's it. well, what the heck? All right. And, and you know, uh, as Kurt mentioned in the intro, honestly, it was it was probably one of the more exciting things uh, you know in the game. Other than, would you like the halftime show, uh, Ben? What are your thoughts? Honestly, I didn't end up watching it. I was busy doing
2: sword fighting on on Sunday night. So. <laughs> I-, I can't comment. Sorry. <laughs> wow. There you go.
0: Sword fighting even beat out Taylor Swift in the Super Bowl. There you go. This time. Um- Maybe this next. time. Yeah. All right. Uh, there you go. All right. What else we got? Oh, the, the big, uh, report today, the auditor general scathing report on the Arrive Can app. And this was supposed to help us, you know, during the pandemic when you could travel here or not there or what have you. Uh, and the auditor general just, uh, just, uh, yeah, not saying very good things in regard to it. Uh, a conflict of interest when it comes to. Uh, procurement. Uh, Quote, emergency doesn't mean that rules go unnoticed. Uh, A glaring disregard for basic management practices. These are all quotes. And she said, we simply paid too much. And she has never seen such uh, uh, terrible basic bookkeeping in the time that she has been the Auditor General. So, uh, And here's a clip of her talking about, this is uh, Karen Hogan, the AG, about just because there's a global pandemic, that doesn't mean you don't cross the T's and dot the I's.
3: I don't believe that an emergency is a reason to forget that public servants need to um, be answerable to Canadians and demonstrate that, They spent public funds in a prudent way um, and exercised their due diligence in doing so. I think it's expected of someone who joins the public service.
0: And the other thing to remember is the size of the public service has just exploded in the last several years. So it's not like there's a shortage of staff here. Uh, and then uh, the auditor general was qu- uh, quizzed on who knew and and you know uh, how do you find information even values of how much we wasted and she basically said there were no records no files or very few.
3: It is difficult for me to tell you um, whether or not ministers were made aware because there is nothing kept on file and we would have expected that. The public service would document all of that uh, in order to demonstrate uh, good due diligence and oversight.
0: All right. So, uh, you know, again, um, just a, a disregard for basic management of practice. That's the Auditor General on the books in regard to the Arrive Can app. Uh, you could use that for any file, whether it's housing whether it's immigration and population, uh, whether it's healthcare, whether it's uh, take your pick—I mean, that's what we've seen here. It's just mismanagement after mismanagement after mismanagement, and 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 then they come in gangbusters with solutions. So uh it's 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 another troubling situation we'll see where it goes government of ontario bill 124 this was the freezing of uh public service wages through the pandemic remember that that ruled unconstitutional from the ontario court of appeal uh and this has already expired it looks like this is just going to run its course anyway and and hopefully the government doesn't need to pursue it any farther. I think the point's been made. Yesterday, the big Super Bowl, and honestly, I was—I uh, I remember looking around. And we were at, at some friends, and and at one point, the couches were filled. There was kids everywhere, and then I turned around and it's like, "Everybody's gone." <laughs> or eating or something else and then everybody kind of gathered back around around ot uh to see what eventually we all know happened so let's bring in bill brio get his take tv critic and author he is with us now bill thank you for the time i hope you're doing well
4: doing doing well absolutely scott how are you
0: So far, so good. And I know, Bill, you have limited time for things like this or award shows or whatever, or or what have you. It's not necessarily what you got into the TV critic Uh game for. But your thoughts on, um, well, let me ask you this. If you took the Taylor Swift element out of this game, what would we be talking about today?
4: Uh, Yeah, it'd be like taking Jerry Lewis out of the Jerry Lewis telephone. You know, I think (laughs) that's a reference that anybody remembers. I don't know. If you're over 70 and get that, but yeah, no, it was, um, you know, I didn't, it was the Tim Taylor, uh, Swift would have been more interesting to have uh, him grunting (laughs) anyway. You know, I, I, and here it is, Scott, I'm moving. I'm actually in the middle of, I'm at a storage facility in Orangeville as we speak. So I was packing last night and as you were saying, you know, didn't watch much of the game, but watched the overtime. That's kind of what I ended up doing. And, um, You know, so all I watched, I watched about 45 minutes of uh, Taylor Swift uh, embracing and and necking with um, uh, her uh, receiver boyfriend, her wide receiver friend. Yeah. that's, That's the most memorable part of what I saw.
0: So, because there's been lots of chatter, and now that, you know, betting has become a part of every sports uh, event that there is, I mean, they're betting on everything from the color of socks to what have you, whether they're wearing sunglasses or, or what, but what does this do, and, and obviously um, a lot of the purists are, you know, take this I remember seeing one old guy holding up a sign saying, I'm not a Swifty um, right. it's, it's taking the purists out of this, and, and obviously we know how they feel, what does this do for the game? What does this do for uh, the NFL what does this do for bringing an audience to it that may not have been there
4: I'm sure did a lot for CBS and Paramount I mean I haven't seen the numbers yet um but you know I think that the speculation was every game that Kansas City played this year where Taylor Swift was shown in the private box the numbers were huge like record-breaking so um that was a factor and you know it's sort of Super Bowl is an, an event where everybody watches young old male female so i don't know if it nudges it much more past 100 million viewers but probably a bit and uh that's significant if you're paying 7 million for 30 seconds of an advertising
0: or just draw more attention to something that perhaps doesn't uh, is hasn't been as consistent as it has been in the past or even the medium itself
4: yeah you know and, and you know kansas city is this is their third in five years i think and Um, so are sort of the house band for these, this event, you know, and so it's not like these are two strange cities, but, um, San Francisco is a big market. So I'm, I'm sure the, uh, ratings were huge.
0: Uh, commercials, uh, we remember the day when it was uh, a big deal and we used to actually fight over how come our cable companies don't show the commercials. Now, of course, you just find somebody with a dish or pick up a feed that gives you what you want right. and you see them all anyway. And, of course, during the big game yesterday, we were all noticing, oh, there's the whatever. There's. Uh, do they have as much hype as they once used to or are people still as interested?
4: I don't think so because it's all kind of watered down now. You can see the Super Bowl ads. Before, during, and after the Super Bowl, you can see them on your home screen. You can dial them up. you can do a search on youtube so um there's still a big deal when you're sitting having a party and watching. I remember seeing the the Peyton brothers snarking at each other for one ad you know there there's stuff that you look for. the beer companies get all excited, but it's not like remember when this was Forbidden Fruit in Canada. we couldn't yeah. see it at all. Then we were just lusting after it we couldn't we were losing our minds that we couldn't see it. Uh, those days are long gone.
0: How does uh, a sport, a league, a team take advantage of uh, of a Taylor Swift situation? I mean, is there anything they should, or, or do you think they're sitting around talking about this in the NFL head office? Do you think they're uh, chatting with their marketing people and saying, "Gee, how can we, you know, what can, <laughs> what what can we learn from this?" I guess. You think?
4: Uh, yeah, I think that lawyers <laughs> draw. You know, a prenup, and uh, what happens when they split up uh, agreements? And, you know, they're already planning like uh, Taylor Swift's next album about uh, my ex boyfriend, NFL player.
0: It's um, like they're It's like they're writing an episode of the Y and R.
4: It is absolutely a soap opera, Scott. You are correct.
0: All right. So, other is there is there something to learn from this? Can other professional sports learn? I mean, look, we're looking for what hockey's gone through with the issues with uh, you know sexual assaults, this sort of thing. Um, yeah. There's a there's a uh, you know uh, a segment of the audience that that's unhappy uh, with with certain parts of professional sport. Is is there something to learn here? Is there something to gain?
4: You know, who, who are the Leafs going to? Uh, uh, go out with, like, you know, the DeFranco family, uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> like, Dal Bell, you know, like, I, 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 I think I, they I,
0: were on the, they were on the Jerry Lewis telethon, weren't they? <laughs> they, were, they were. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah you know, Ann uh, Murray once expressed interest
4: in buying the gardens and the Leafs. I don't, I don't know what, what uh, the Leafs yeah. could do to finally win a Stanley Cup after uh, 67, 87 years, whatever. Um, but, If Taylor Swift has any sisters, girlfriends, cousins, (laughs) at least (laughs) reach out. out to them. Yeah.
0: All right. Bill Brio with his TV critic and author talking about last night's Super Bowl. Good luck with the move, Bill. Thank you so much, Scott. We were talking about this, uh, uh, last week, and, um, and, you know, as often happens, there's so many new, new stories that are breaking, at uh, on any given day that usually what you get, try to get a guest on to talk about by the time they're on, it's something completely different. And, uh, always the case, it seems, with Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, federal director. Lots to talk about, including alcohol tax. The province is going to give us a bit of a break there, but forget that the Auditor General's report on the Arrive Can app has come out, and, uh, Uh, It is scathing. And, and, you know, of course, there was over this and over that and paid too much. But some of the comments, uh, an emergency doesn't mean uh, it doesn't mean rules go out the window, says the AG, Uh, a glaring disregard for basic management practices, which, you know, you could look at a lot of files in the government and say the exact same thing. The ideas are there. The thought, the heart might be in the right place, but then the wheels come off it. And all of this, well, the public service gets bigger. And and we've talked about the Federal Civil Service and how it has grown. And the Auditor General goes on to say it's some of the worst bookkeeping that she's ever seen. So, uh, again, over and above the Arrive Can app, it's what else does this apply to? <laughs> what else doesn't it apply to? Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director here now. Franco, thanks for the time. Hope you're well.
5: Hey, let me just jump in on that uh, on that final point because I think that's a really good one that you made, right? We know about the Arrive Can debacle because, because a bunch of news outlets really pick this up and put the spotlight on the issue. But I think it warrants the question. I think so many Canadians are wondering right now, yeah, we know Arrive Can is a debacle, but how many other similar situations are like that behind closed doors when Canadians or the news outlet just haven't gotten word to what's going on. Now, let me just provide you a quick overview of this Auditor General report, because it is scathing, and then I'm happy to go into the details, but from spiraling costs to poor management to sketchy contracting decisions and missing documentation, I mean, the Auditor General report essentially makes it very clear that the federal government failed taxpayers on Arrive can from the very beginning and across every single stage of the process. I mean, the Auditor General, her herself, she's like, look, the financial records were so bad. Even I, the Auditor General, couldn't figure out exactly how much it cost taxpayers. But she hmm. estimates that the final bill for La Can to taxpayers was about 60 million bucks. And remember, folks, the app was initially launched back in 2020 for a total cost of
0: $80,000. And the success of this app, did it help us at a time when we needed help?
5: Well, I don't I don't think anyone's really making the case, right? And 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 what's so important about what the auditor general report shows is that look, even if you want to make the case for an app like this, it still shouldn't have cost this much, right? It still shouldn't have cost taxpayers 60 million bucks. They like one of the quotes from the auditor general is we concluded the public service did not ensure Canada received best value for money. I would tell you that we paid too much for this application. So even if you want to take the other side's arguments at face value, it's clear that the processes were bad. Right, the project displayed glaring disregard for basic management and contracting practices. Uh, you know, Canada Border and Services Agency's employees were breaching protocols by not disclosing invitations from contractors uh, for dinners and other activities. Here's another one: the governance structure for the project was so poor that there was no defined project objectives, budgets, or cost estimates. So folks, even if you wanted to justify the app in existence, there is no justification for how the federal government spent this type of money. The processes that were in place uh, seem to be terrible, and there is no justification for the cost spiraling the way they did.
0: That you could drop into any portfolio, Franco, because that seems to be the consistent message, whatever the issue is here. And now we're just hearing it again.
5: Yeah, we, uh, well, there's there's two there's two people to really blame here, or two groups of people. I mean, number one is within the government bureaucracy so to speak right the higher level of executives the senior management uh, the deputy ministers or or assistant deputy ministers those in the bureaucracy that are overseeing the day-to-day right they have to be held accountable but you know to their conversation we have it seems almost every other week is that there is no accountability within the bureaucracy it's just bonus for everyone essentially um the second issue and I think where the issue really lies is within the political, uh, uh, the the politicians, right? The ones we elect to watch over the public purse. Now, the problem when you have a government under seen by these politicians that are OK with like 40 billion dollar deficits every year is that it sends a pretty clear signal to the bureaucracy that the politicians just really don't care about uh, reigning and spending and making sure taxpayers are actually getting good bang for our buck.
0: And the safety minister uh, seemed to take it on the chin and say, "Yep, you know we take responsibility for uh, everything that she said, and we're going to make the recommend or take the recommendations and move forward." What are they going to do now? Well, that's the
5: question I want to pose to them. Oh, yeah, you take responsibility. Okay, who's losing their bonus? Who's not getting a pay raise? (laughs) Anyone getting fired? Okay, how are you taking responsibility? Actions speak louder than words, right? We already know that the public health agency, one of the um, agencies or departments involved with ArriveCAN, we already know they gave their executives 342000 bucks in taxpayer-funded bonuses. The other two departments involved, they won't even disclose how much bonuses they gave to their executives working on ArriveCAN. So, you know, it's one thing for a politician to say, we're sorry, we'll take responsibility. Okay, how? Are those politicians going to give up their pay raise April one? Are those executives in the bureaucracy going to give up their bonus? Anyone out of a job? So, you know, talk is cheap.
0: All right, we talked uh, a few weeks ago or maybe last week in regard to alcohol tax. Uh, we know that uh, the, the Brewers Association has stepped up a campaign on all of this April 1st. The accelerator tax uh, goes up by inflation, and we'll see wine, spirits, and beer go up and such. Uh, the province, uh, the provincial government said they're going to, uh, to cut their portion. Explain to this what they are doing and if that's going to help.
5: Yeah, oh it certainly is going to help. So the province every year it's very similar to the federal government where the feds have this escalator tax on all alcohol, so wine, beer and spirits and every year that federal excise tax goes up every year without a vote in the House of Commons. Now it's it's kind of similar how it could work in Ontario where there's that similar escalator process for beer, right? So provincial beer taxes under the law would be going up every year with inflation. But kudos to the Ford government, right? Kudos to the Ontario government, because back in November uh, 2018, the government started cancelling those scheduled beer taxes, and the beer taxes provincially were going to go up again this March, but kudos to the Ford government. The Ford government realized, like, you know what? People are struggling. Let's not raise taxes. So they decided to cancel uh, their upcoming beer tax hike. They're going to freeze beer taxes provincially for like another two years. So kudos to the Ford government. And that's what the Trudeau government should be doing in Ottawa.
0: Franco Terrazano with us, Canadian Taxpayers Federation Federal Director on Alcohol Tax, the Arrive Can app, and anything else we can squeeze in. Franco, <laughs> as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Hey, appreciate you having me on today. You know, it's it, the, the, the great thing about uh, Joe Biden being the president is we haven't really had to listen to Donald Trump unless you choose to. And then you can go follow whatever it is that he says. But now it's getting to the point, and I guess this is because, the, you know, the runway towards the U.S. elections getting shorter and shorter. Now it's almost as if he's president again. And we all have to listen to the stuff he says. And it's interesting considering he's not the president. Yet? I don't know. Top European officials say they are alarmed at Donald Trump saying he would not necessarily protect NATO allies, but the former president's words uh, will not have come as a surprise. Many staunch Trump critics agree with the central point that members of the military alliance set up in the wake of World War II to defend against the then-Soviet Union need to uh, need to up their defense spending Canada of course one of those countries to talk more about all of this Brian J Karam with us journalist author White House correspondent for Playboy and political analyst for CNN here now. Brian thanks for the time. hope you're well doing well how about yourself so far so good Brian it's like I you know it's like almost he's president already again and he's throwing his uh, his comments around and and NATO allies are answering
1: yeah well what kind of ally are you when you i'm your friend as long as you give me money and if you don't give me money i'm gonna have this other guy we don't like beat you up it sounds like a, you
0: know to me it sounds like blackmail but hey what do i know so um does this change anything i know for you this is all just part of the din of, of the noise of trump and such uh this sort of piqued my attention though does it down there yeah, it piques everyone's attention. It's seditious,
1: traitorous behavior that uh, is indicative of fascist or at least a despot. Uh, and it's not fair to call Donald Trump a, a fascist. He doesn't understand what that means. He's just a despot. He just wants to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And he wants to make sure that if he does it, that everybody else has to put up with it. He's never accepted any responsibility for his actions and, in fact, is unaware of the actions of his own. Uh, so it's not. It, it it's just more part and parcel of dealing with Donald Trump. But yeah, he's got people angry as hell. And in fact, uh, today in the White House briefing room, uh, it was John Kirby who said, listen, as far as we think of it, we will defend every inch of NATO soil and every one of our uh, allies in the NATO alliance. Donald Trump would like to end the NATO alliance. There's no doubt about that. And I'm sure Vladimir Putin would love that. But uh, that's not going to happen as long as Donald Trump doesn't get back into the White
0: House. How do Republicans respond to that? Because, I mean, you know, they're usually pro-military. Uh, is America buying in that the president seems to love Russia? Or Well,
1: n- look, there is no, there's no Republican Party anymore. Uh, yeah. That's what you have to understand. There's a there's a MAGA party, um, and that party is beholden to Donald Trump, and so they'll go along with whatever Donald Trump says publicly, even if they don't agree with it privately. The few exceptions to that are Mitch McConnell, who is on the outs in the Republican MAGA party because he has said that that's a a, a crock. Um, so what they say privately is not what they say publicly. What they what they want to do publicly is, as uh, Re- Representative Jamie Raskin said, it's, it, it's uh, a rule or ruin type of government strategy. The GOP, what's left of it, MAGA wants to rule. And if not, if they don't get to rule, then they want to ruin. They want to you know, rule over the ruin. So it's, you're not going to find much dissension among the GOP, what's left of it. In fact, uh, all you'll find there are,
0: are pedophiles and, and crooks. Uh, it seems um, that siding with Russia seems almost anti-military. And I, I'm, how does well, it's how anti-American? Does
1: Mag- <laughs> That's has gone. Sure. How, how does MAGA are- buy
0: it? Then how does even MAGA buy into that? Like, you know, because at the end of the day, they're true patriots and, and supporter of the flag and the Constitution. Yet, you know, they've got a, a hero, a leader who seems sympathetic to a country that doesn't believe in that freedom or democracy.
1: Well, what you have to understand is they're they're not patriots; they're traitors. Yeah. What they yeah. are is they're they they have put their um, ability to rule their they, that rule over, and it's party over country. So they want to rule, and if not, yeah. then they don't want to follow the. They won't even admit that Donald Trump lost. I mean, so how are you going to <clears> get <throat> them to admit that you know Russia is our our staunchest enemy? I mean, uh, our NATO was formed specifically to counter Russian hegemony in Europe mm. and to back off from it and say, hey, I'll let Russia do whatever the heck they want to do is just antithetical to the very foundings of NATO and what we did in World War II and afterwards.
0: Uh recent issues surrounding Biden's memory and what has come up over the last week or such, how does that play into all this?
1: Well, I I've been in front of both presidents. I wish um mm-hmm. Biden would be in front of the press more often and because he gives strength to those who say he's mentally compromised when he doesn't appear before the press as often as even Donald Trump did and Trump didn't do it very often but the simple fact of the matter is that having covered both of these presidents i find that it is Donald Trump who is of a maybe not sound mind or body
6: mm-hmm. Trump,
1: uh Biden is i think mentally far more capable than Donald Trump. I think he messed up in his press conference the other day. I mean, look, when when a reporter asked him uh, about, you know, <laughs> they pressed him on the issue of, of his age in that gathering at the White House, Biden fell into a trap, and lost his temper. Um, yeah. and, and I want to ask who's prepping the president because they aren't doing their job. Biden could have responded with something like, hey, most Americans might think it's silly to ask me about my age when the former president is pushing sedition, fascism, backing up Vladimir Putin, putting our international allies, especially NATO, at risk. And there are two dangerous wars being waged, one in Gaza and one in Ukraine. Roe Mm -hmm. versus Wade has been overturned. The Republicans have created a false narrative about the U.S. southern border, and we have to deal with racism, misogyny and climate change. I'm dealing with the real issues while you're chasing shadows. So go ahead and question my mental acuity. Are there Mm -hmm. any real questions from the press man that I would have loved to have seen that, but he didn't do it. He got upset. He, he, he fell into a trap and, uh, he needs better prep and a better communication staff, but it, and that's, what's so frustrating to see is that he's made some good decisions on policy and just is horrible when, when he's out in front of the press.
0: Brian J. Karam with us, journalist, author, White House correspondent for Playboy, analyst for CNN. Brian, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, brother. Be safe. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve
1: into the issue until
0: he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. We all remember what it was like during COVID-19. Remember that? Every day we'd have doctors on talking about what was going on. Every night at 7 o'clock we started banging pots and pans. And we started throwing them at each other by the end of the pandemic. What the heck happened? All that. Uh, it just seems like it's just an absolute lifetime ago in some situations. Uh, but certainly the bills are coming due. The, the arrive can app, which you might remember, uh, you could download. And if you were traveling, it kept track of everything and who was where. And, 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 and again, I'm, I'm not sure how effective it was, but either way, um, the auditor general has uh, issued a scathing report on, on the ArriveCan app saying uh, emergency doesn't mean rules go out the window uh, we paid too much for this. Uh, Worst bookkeeping that she has seen. And I think what stands out for me is a quote that says, glaring disregard for basic management practices. Because for me, this applies to a lot of things over and above the ArriveCan Can app during the middle of the global pandemic. Let's bring in Duff Conacher, co-founder of Democracy Watch here now. Duff, thank you for the time. Hope you're well.
6: Yes, I am. Hope you are as well. So, Duff, we'll talk about
0: this, start to talk about this. But again, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, a total lack of basic management practices. It's like, what else is like this? What else, especially in and around the pandemic, whether it's, um, you know, emergency relief, whether it's apps or or what have you. What else is there this sort of incompetence in?
6: Well, we saw it with the uh, grant to We Charity, where yeah. uh, the f- former finance minister, Bill Morneau, uh, Sat in on the and participated in the decision, even though his family had connections with and he was friends with uh, one of the heads of WE Charity and Prime Minister Trudeau sat at the table as well to approve the grant, even though his uh, mum and brother were speakers for We Charity and also his wife was an ambassador for We Charity and we still have that in court challenging the ethics commissioners ruling, letting Trudeau off, even though we participated in a decision where he clearly had a appearance of a conflict of interest. So, you know, things were done very rapidly. um, But as the Auditor General said, there's no excuse for not keeping a record of your actions and decisions. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the major things that needs to be changed is we need the law to change to say you have to document all your decisions and actions so, so that the watchdogs can tell who did what after the fact. It seems that
0: we're going in, or people like your organization, Duff, are going in after the fact. And okay, we need this, we need this here, and in this situation, we need that there. But she seems the auditor general has seemed to sum it up in the sense that there's a basic management practice that seems to be missing across the board, over and above the arrive can app. Do you think that's um, you know that's sort of a default position for them?
6: Yes, there's there's a problem. With, um, there's a management problem.
0: Yeah, there's a management problem here.
6: Yes. And it goes back decades. And if you look at any big business or government across the country mm. or around the world, you'll find the same problem. Executives who didn't know weren't techies have been buying tech for the last 25, 30 years. Mm. They don't understand it. They hire consultants who can as the old term goes, consultant is a combination of to con someone and insult them, who can con them uh, because they don't understand the tech. And so they hire these middle people who make millions doing nothing. Uh, And long ago, the federal government and businesses figured this out faster, but governments have not hired people internally who know the tech, who can then contract to people directly to whenever they need something created uh, in information technology or other area of technology, but especially in, in terms of computers and and instead they hire these middle people, pay them tens of millions of dollars when they could have had a few people internally paying them a hundred thousand a year, and they would have saved tens of millions of dollars. And it has to change. And the auditor general mentioned that as one of her key recommendations.
0: How do you change that culture? Because, again, consultants, we've talked about that before and the role that they play in government. I guess in some situations, it's cost-effective. Others, it can be taken advantage of. What can we learn here?
6: Uh, Well, Mark Swatch's recommendation is that the uh, Auditor General, uh, that institutions should have to go to the Auditor General in advance of doing these ongoing contracting situations. Because, remember, the Middle Middle one of the middle men in this situation, GC Strategies, has had contracts from like a dozen different federal government departments over the past several years, paid tens of millions of dollars in total. And all they do is hand out contracts subcon- to subcontractors, they don't, they're not even techies themselves. So, um, institutions, if they're going to have this kind of ongoing uh, subcontracting, should have to go to the Auditor General and get it approved. And the Auditor General could look at it and say, look, you could hire two people for 100000 bucks each, and they could work for the next 20 years, and you still wouldn't spend as much as you're spending on these middlemen. So clearly, it, you, you can't do it. Hire a couple of people who can actually hand these contracts out directly and just pay them a public servant sal- salary instead of paying tens of millions of dollars to these middlemen. The system is the scandal. And there's Wait. also secret lobbying allowed. You know, this company GC Strategies sounds like it was doing secret lobbying for these contracts and there are tons of loopholes in the lobbying law that that would allow secret lobbying in that situation, which is just ridiculous.
0: We've we've certainly heard the discussion over consultants and using them too much, or what we're using them for, spending the money on. Uh, that being said, we've seen also seen the size of the public service increase. So um, it seems like they're using consultants and hiring people, but it, it, we don't seem to be getting an efficient operation.
6: Yes, and you no, know, the Auditor General has resources not to audit everything every year. So it's really hard to tell whether the public service has been increasing because of demand and need for well, that. That's services. a great, of course, that's any a great can increase service levels. That's a great question. Of like where did all, it's where did really all, hard to tell that overall. Yeah. Where did all of these
0: new employees go? Because we're not seeing it in the performance.
6: No, not in in some areas. That's for sure. And so, um, yeah, there's there are big questions for the government who is which has increased the, the public service uh, uh, at a greater rate than than uh, previous go- recent governments at the federal level. And yes, Canadians should be questioning why are all these people being hired uh, and what services are actually improving. Part of the problem, though, is that public servants, and this is, a, again, a systemic problem, public servants do not have to set out accountability plans where you could really measure whether they're me- meeting targets mm. for services uh, for getting things done in any area. And so it's really hard to tell whether service is improving a lot of times, and it's, it's just a systemic problem. There isn't really a lot of caring at the top level of public service to actually ensure that the public can hold them accountable for various levels of service or wrongdoing.
0: And we wonder how we get bonuses without the performance. Uh, Duff Conacher with us, co-founder of Democracy Watch. Duff, as always, thank you for the time. Be well.
6: Thank you. I'll keep you updated as we try and win these key changes to stop this from happening again. A quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Let's bring in Colin DeMello here. uh, Talk about Bill uh, 124, the controversial bill in regard to uh, public service employees uh, back through the global pandemic and such. Uh, that has been ruled unconstitutional, as well as uh, universities and colleges, uh, financial support for them. We know it's uh, the challenge in light of the international uh, or the cap on international students. Colin DeMello with us now, Queens Park Bureau Chief Global News here now. Colin, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Hey, good afternoon, Scott. Thanks for having me. All right, always lots to cover, uh, and most of the time when we book you, by the time you get on, we, we want to talk about something else. It just moves so quickly. Talk about uh, Bill 124, this controversial bill through the pandemic and such with uh, with uh, Ontario workers and, and what's happened in the courts with this.
7: Yeah. So Bill 124, for those who might not know, Bill 124 was a legislation brought in by the Ford government with the intent of saving taxpayers money. It essentially said that every public sector employee for a period of three years, their contracts could only increase by 1% per year for that three-year contract. And and the government had said that it was you know designed to make the public sector more sustainable. Well, a number of unions, including education unions, healthcare unions, and such, had taken the government to court, arguing that this bill was unconstitutional, that it impeded with their uh, right to bargain a fair and free collective agreement with their employer, the Ontario government. In 2022, a lower court had determined that, yes, in fact, that freedom of association was actually uh, contravened. uh, That's enshrined in the Canadian Constitution of Rights and Freedoms. It was contravened by Bill 124 uh, because it just, you know, it, it, uh, already imposed the end of this collective bargaining contract. It imposed what was supposed to be the settlement that could have been negotiated. Well, the government had appealed it. And now today, they lost that appeal again. So now two courts have said to the Ontario government, yes, your legislation that capped the wages of public sector employees was unconstitutional, which means the government may have to pay a huge bill in retroactive wages.
0: Um, Where are we with that retroactive wages? Because this has already run its course, from what I understand, Colin, and that they paid some off. Do they still have to pay off more with this?
7: Yeah, the answer is a yes and a no. So it's interesting. A lot of public sector unions, including those that represent nurses and teachers, they negotiated something called a reopener clause in their contract that said if Bill 124 were to be struck down by a court, they could go back mm. and reopen their contracts and renegotiate uh, you know, wage settlements. Well, that's what some have been doing. Teachers on Friday, as an example, they received, you know, a wage reopener back pay essentially by through arbitration. So nurses have been getting back pay, teachers have been getting back pay. But union leaders say there are lots of uh, workers in the province, public sector workers. Who didn't have that reopener clause in their contracts. And so there's a big question mark in terms of what happens with them. So first, we don't know whether the government is going to appeal this decision to the Supreme Court of Canada. So that would, you know, determine what happens next. And then is the government feeling generous? Are they going to offer this back pay to other unions as well and other, other even, you know, non-unionized members impacted by this? So some have been paid, some have been receiving back pay, but some are still a big question mark. And we don't know exactly what the government is going to do next.
0: Would it make much sense to appeal this considering where we are in, in this much of this has already run its course?
7: I mean, the government might want to appeal it just to get the appeal on the books and see what the Supreme Court of Canada might have to say. Recently, when it came to their mandate letters, the government won with the Supreme Court. So there is no telling what could happen. But think about it, right? Even if they win at the Supreme Court, is the government really going to go to nurses and teachers and say, hey, remember that back pay that we gave you? Oh, (laughs) we're going to need that money back. That's going to be optically pretty terrible. And whatever decision comes from the Supreme Court, it could take a couple of years before that decision comes down so that would run them right into the next election so there's a lot of political calculations i would suppose happening behind the scenes but the government has not yet indicated exactly what they're going to do legally speaking just yet
0: all right. Housing situation. We know the crisis there, uh, obviously a relation to that. And, you know, part of the issue with uh, international students, they've as a result, the federal government put a cap on that, which obviously means less international students coming in for colleges and universities, which means less revenue for them. So what's going on to try to ease that or, or, or bridge that gap?
7: Yeah, so back in November, the government had gotten the uh, the results of a blue ribbon panel that it had commissioned to take a look at the entire sector. And that panel had come back saying, look, there are a couple of different issues here. In 2019, the government froze tuition, which meant less money going to universities. It also cut tuition by 10%. At the same time, there had been historical underfunding for colleges and universities. So what colleges and universities were doing, particularly colleges, they started to open up the floodgates to international students because they could charge them a heck of a lot more than a domestic Mm. student. And they were using that to fill the financial gaps. So now... A lot of these colleges and universities are looking at this international student cap saying, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to have a huge impact on our bottom line. At the same time, that blue ribbon panel had told the government, you need to start increasing funding to post-secondary institutions. So now the government says it is willing to provide increased financial supports to colleges and universities, but it is unwilling to increase tuition. So tuition, the government says it's going to be frozen still for an indeterminate period of time, but they're going to raise money going to colleges and universities. The question is, how much? And the other question is, how much do those post-secondary institutions need to make sure that they're not going to fall into some kind of a financial jeopardy? Those are all, all those numbers are being worked out behind the scenes now, but the government says, by the end of the month they'll be able to at least tell the post-secondary institutions how much more money they'll be getting from the provincial government.
0: Uh, There were sort of two issues here with this, Colin, in the education uh, and international students. There was the colleges and universities, and there were sort of uh, these, um, um, say, less than honorable private colleges that were kind of, um, you know, sub, uh, I guess, uh, sub uh, courses of other colleges or accredited to or what have you, that were sort of running away with this and and putting students in a, a precarious situation and not necessarily delivering anything more on that side of it over and above the approved uh, in in uh, in bigger colleges and universities in Ontario?
7: No, not so much right now, other than the fact that the government has said that they want to crack down on the bad actors. The federal government had said that, you know, these these private career colleges, um, you know, once those students had graduated, it was kind of like a fast tracking to get their yeah. um, you know landed immigrants uh, or landed uh, residency status in Canada. So if you wanted to get a citizenship, it was the pathway to becoming you know, a Canadian resident and a permanent Canadian citizen. But the government took that secondary portion up. So if you go to a private career college, it doesn't automatically mean that you could be fast-tracked to getting a a permanent residency. So they're hoping that that will take away or blunt that instrument. But again, it really falls on the colleges themselves that have had disproportionate numbers in terms of the number of international students coming into this province. Mm -hmm. The one thing the province of Ontario has been given is an allocation. About 230,000 international students is what Ontario has told that they can approve. Now, Ontario has to distribute those numbers among the private career colleges, the colleges and the universities, and create an attestation letter that it would give to the students once they've been accepted by a university to essentially say, yes, immigration officials, I have been approved to come in. The allocation has not yet happened. The attestation letters have not yet happened. And that's the way the government can ultimately control who's coming into this province and which universities and colleges will get the green light. But that process has not been started. And a lot of these post-secondary institutions are just hanging on by a thread saying, we need this, otherwise we can't let students in.
0: Colin DeMello with us, Queens Park Bureau Chief, Global News. Make sure you're watching Global Tonight for more on all of this, everything going on at the ledge. Colin, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We talked about this uh, last week. Uh, NDP leader Jugmeet Singh, uh, I guess, said uh, as of March 1st, if we don't see some uh, action on pharma, uh, PharmaCare, he used the term there will be repercussions. Ooh, of course, reporters, does that mean you're going to uh, trigger an election? Blah, blah, blah. And of course, he wouldn't go into that. Uh, but again, has been uh, rattling sabers about a March 1st deadline uh, pushing the government into a corner. Or are they? Peter Graff, with us, Professor of Political Science at McMaster University. Peter, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, thanks. Hope you're well, too. So March 1st, what do you think is going to happen, Peter? Anything? Or, uh, you know, what can a repercussion be that would, um, would change things?
8: Well, I mean, certainly a, a decision to uh, put an end to the supply and confidence agreement uh, under which, you know, the NDP supports uh, the Liberal government on money votes in return for You know, a number of policy uh, deals could be, you know, that could be in a sense torn up and would bring us back to the situation we had right after the last federal election, where we have a federal uh, minority government, the Liberals holding a minority government and having to negotiate on a case-by-case basis uh, to have support in the House. So, you know, in the, the most straightforward sense, it would mean negotiating with the NDP about the upcoming federal budget or potentially looking for the Bloc Québécois to support the government for uh, a number of votes uh, going through the summer and into the fall.
0: What are the repercussions for the NDP's repercussions?
8: Well, I mean, I guess it brings us back into a situation where there's more of an ongoing question. Are we going to have an election? Will the the federal, uh, you know, liberal government lose a money vote? Will they lose a vote on a budgetary item? that will then, you know, require them to uh, step down and call an election. You know, that makes it more more likely uh, the Supply and Confidence Agreement uh, kept us out of that. So what does that mean? Probably more, if you like, brinkmanship uh, about, you know, is there enough in this budget for the NDP to support it? Uh, is the NDP strong enough that it could say no to a budget it didn't like? Uh, are the Liberals willing to work with the Bloc Québécois? You know, at one time to be seen to be supported by the Bloc was... Uh, a bit dangerous although Stephen Harper at times uh, you know uh, was kept alive in that way you know would the liberals be willing to uh, engage in that at the moment and would the bloc have an interest in in propping up the liberals or would they too see an interest in going and uh, having an election uh
0: anything else other than uh, the NDP pulling away their support would anything else be crying wolf at this point
8: uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess it comes down to whether they get, uh, you know, the, the movement on pharmacare that they're asking for, but yes, if they don't get that movement and they don't pull out in terms of uh, their support, then in many ways, uh, you know, I think it's an admission, uh, of, of weakness of being unable to actually, you know, the Jagmeet Singh was dealt a pretty weak hand coming out of the last election. You could argue that he actually got a lot uh, accomplished, in in the supply and confidence agreement uh, you know given that he has you know 20 seats in the house of commons pretty much um but yeah at a certain point if if the if the liberals are not uh, moving forward on what was agreed in that agreement and you don't pull the plug then in a way uh, you're confirming that uh, you're not really anything different than the liberals so for the ndp it's probably also in their interest to, to strike a more independent pose if they if they don't get those changes uh, I can imagine for the Liberals, we heard a lot of grumbling at the time of their cabinet retreat uh, last month that they were sick and tired of doing things that the NDP wanted to do. They wanted to you know, de- de put out their own kind of image about what they were about, uh, doing more for the middle class and maybe less for less well-off Canadians than they've been doing. But again, what actually that that program would be for the Liberals to distinguish themselves from what they've been doing before, is kind of harder to tell. Presumably to focus more on the economy and on managing public finances. But, you know, with things like the arrive ARRIVECAN uh, uh, report today from the Auditor General, it, it's not clear hmm. that they're in very strong ground there either. Uh, the health
0: minister responded to all this by saying we're not pulling the fire alarm. How do we interpret that?
8: Well, I mean, there's been some indication that uh, behind the scenes, uh, the Liberals and the NDP have, you know, been fairly uh, successful negotiations about, you know, what should be there for March 1st. So there may be a bit of a tension in both parties where the political leadership is thinking that it would be uh, be best to see the end of this agreement because it would allow the parties to, to dis- differentiate themselves. The Liberals feel they can probably compete better with the Conservatives if they they aren't having to hold up their end of this deal. The NDP probably feels they can compete better with the Liberals and the Conservatives if if they have a bit more autonomy and can be seen uh, to be championing some things. So, you know, it may be that, yeah, they're actually not so far apart in terms of what needs to be there for March 1st, but the political leaders see some political advantage in uh, having a more autonomous way of uh, interacting with each other.
0: All right, uh, Peter Grave, I could keep asking questions. Peter Grave with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. Deadline March 1st. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a deadline. There'll be repercussions from the NDP if there isn't movement on pharmacare. Peter, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. And you too. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is
1: Hamilton Today with Scott
5: Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CXML.
0: It kind of seems odd that the Prime Minister was hosting a the, uh, summit on auto theft um, just last week, considering... The liberals aren't necessarily known for being tough on crime; more like catch and release, and and not taking these issues too seriously. Uh, which seems odd that they're calling a summit on something that uh, it appears really doesn't have their attention. While all while giving Ontario like 121 million dollars to fund to fight guns gangs and auto theft so it seems to be a bit of a change of position for the government is this enough to help or even curb some of these problems sean sparling is with us retired deputy chief of police for Sault saint marie currently the president uh, president of investigative solutions network and here now sean thanks for the time i hope you're well
3: i was good thanks for having me are you encouraged sean that there's such
0: uh, such a summit even happening now
3: Well, yeah, you know, I think it's a good idea to bring the attention to it and have the kind of this directive from the highest powers. Certainly makes for good political optics for the uh, prime minister and his staff. But uh, really, the work is going to have to happen on the ground.
0: Where do you start?
3: Well, it starts with coordinating efforts. You need uh, some good police work. You need... uh, Uh, Some attention to your intelligence, coordination between uh, different law enforcement agencies such as municipal services and uh, Canada border. Um, And now you have this political imperative to get it done, which is uh, always helpful. uh, But it takes coordinating resources and putting some boots on the ground to get these investigations done.
0: Are we here because we have been lax on this in the past? I mean, we hear concerns from law enforcement that, you know, you arrest somebody, they're out in a day or so, what have you? Um are we backtracking now?
3: Absolutely. Um this is uh comes down to uh neglect um on with these units uh, for a long time uh, there is the whole call to defund the police and to uh uh, to maybe pay attention to other things that aren't core law enforcement operations of which the police are meant to do. and this is a to me is is a cause of that. Uh, we basically we took our our foot off this issue and it got away on us.
0: Uh, can, are you confident by putting resources towards this, you can make a dent in it or we can see results?
3: Once the police actually concentrate on this and get some good collaboration between uh, uh, the public and private sector uh, entities and law enforcement, they can uh, they can make a difference in, the, in this type of crime.
0: Why do you think Canada has become a haven or a target for this sort of thing? Because we've talked to automobile associations and such, and uh, although car theft happens all around the world, it seems to be proportionally happening a lot more here than in other countries. Uh, you know, and obviously we want to see. Uh, automobile manufacturers do more and such, but they're pointing that the cars don't get as stolen in one country as much as they do the other. So, uh, is it a case of, um, you know, uh, more sophisticated alarming systems, more sophisticated? Because uh, we hear so much about the technology aspect of this, it's hard to stay ahead of, of the bad guys on this. And then the other issue is just stuff leaving the country border patrols uh you know italy's police finding 250 cars and containers you know on their soil Uh, it seems like obviously it's it's a few several things there's lots of cogs in this wheel
3: yeah the uh it's really a multi-issue uh thing the um like uh, you go back to the uh, Italy finding all these vehicles in their in their country. That's two things. That's our border security and our organized crime here. But yeah. certainly, if it's in Italy, um, certainly it's their organized crime. What not bringing it in? Um, but it's going to take uh, law enforcement attention to this, um, and it's going to take a coordinated effort to actually have uh, some impact on this on the subject. But they they can do it. Uh, at the end of the day, they can uh, kind of lock the bad guys up and uh, and uh, get to work on actual enforcement of this. This is not something where you take a soft approach to it. This is about uh, about straight-up enforcement.
0: Are Canadians' attitudes changing on this, do you think, Sean, now that the rubber's hit the road? No pun intended. And, you know, people are starting to see the results of of, as you said, taking the foot off the gas and letting these things get out of hand
3: yeah, I think public sentiments coming back around towards uh, more of an enforcement style approach. certainly, there's uh, uh, it needs to be multifaceted, like uh, kind of your community mobilization, but on top of enforcement. So this is about being uh, not just on crime but being smart on crime and uh, and and taking them to task for it. and um, the the public is tired of the uh, of the uh, the robberies and the vehicle thefts and uh, the different gang issues that are happening in some of our bigger cities and all the opioid uh, problems. And uh, there isn't a strong enforcement portion to this that has been lacking in the last number of years.
0: You said something interesting, Sean. You said this isn't about being tough on crime. It's about being smart with crime.
3: Yeah, it's a mix of both, Like the, uh, but mostly being smart on crime. Like, for example, you want to go after the organized crime aspect of this and go after the people who are stealing the cars. And so you want to do this in intelligence-led, targeted approach, but uh, be unapologetic. Target the people who are involved in this and put them in jail. And that's about being smart on crime um, and also enforcing crimes that matter. And this one matters. How are or how would law enforcement
0: interpret a summit like this?
3: Uh, It would be neither here nor there to the average uh, officer. uh, Certainly at the the command staff level and the bigger organizational piece, uh, they'll certainly uh, be happy to see this and also expect that the government will follow up with proper funding and structure and maybe some legal reforms. So this is a positive positive move, but uh, there's also no doubt in my mind that this is a political opportunity for, for the federal government at the same time. Sean Sparling with us, retired
0: Deputy Chief of the Sault Ste. Marie Police, currently President of Investigative Solutions Network. Sean, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. Yeah, thank you. Take care. We want to talk about uh, gambling and and the Super Bowl and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, in the last couple of years that this has been legalized in Ontario, and I've talked about this before on the show, it's really annoying for me because, you know, you want to run a commercial like Coke and Pepsi does or KFC, go right ahead. Um, but to actually bring it into part of the programming where the hosts are talking about it and giving you odds and is like,, ah, that's not why I'm tuning in. But again, I'm just so dang cheap. i, I, I i'm I'm too cheap to gamble. So, uh, you know i'm I'm not into it. I don't get the fun. But we're at a party. We're at the Super Bowl party yesterday, and everybody's, you know, got a square and all that, and, and that's all fun and bop, ba, ba, ba. But then it's like, the kids are like teenagers or adult, you know, young adults. Or, well, you can actually place a bet what the coin toss. What color Taylor Swift's sunglasses are? Uh, what what song Usher is going to sing first? What, it, like, it, you can literally bet on the color of a hot dog wrapper uh, if you look hard enough. Let's bring in Steve Jordan's professor of psychology, University of Toronto. He is here
2: now. Steve, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am Scott, and great to be with you talking to you about this because I am equally, if not more, annoyed by it all than you are, I think.
0: And again, Steve, I don't want to be a killjoy. I get it. Like, there, you know, everybody yesterday was goofing around and, oh, who won? Whoa, whoa. And it was great. But then it just, it's like, it just has gone from nothing to like way over the top. And obviously, there's got to be repercussions. I can see it in the young people.
2: Yeah, 100%. So it's a, it's like nothing we've seen marketing-wise for exactly what you're describing. It's so um, ingrained with the show. You cannot now sit and watch sports with your children without exposing them and indoctrinating them into a gambling culture. Um, the fact that you know all the people they watch seem to think it's normal and it's fun and it's cool and that's all being modeled for our children every time we want to just watch sport with them. It's not just sort of not cool. It's downright dangerous because it can literally lead to psychological addictions that are every bit as scary and dangerous as biological addictions that we worry about in a different way.
0: And again, uh, you know, I'm not against this. I get it. I I get that it's an industry and people want to do it. Um, But it seems as if now it's part of the show. We don't see... You know, our hockey announcers or our football announcers opening up a bucket, a bucket of chicken and telling us how good the drumstick is. They're not sipping drinks and saying, oh, I try one of these. So why are we allowed to do that with gambling? Yet we're not with other products.
2: Well, because they've they've got so much money, so much money is being sucked out of people's pockets right now that they have formed these amazing deals with, like the NBA and the NFL. You know, typically that level of organization um, did not enter into full sponsorship deals with corporate entities, but they have in this case because there's so much money available, uh, which people should stop and think about, You know, where's that money coming from? Uh, there's so much money available that it's enough that the MBA will not just say, hey, let's have an agreement, But they will say, we are going to integrate you with our broadcasts. Uh, And never has a a sponsor come with deep enough pockets to convince organizations to do that. Um, My my big worry with this, because we have a really good model for things like this, right? Cannabis, alcohol, other things where we can sort of have our cake and eat it too. In the sense of saying, yeah, you know, if you really know what you're doing and you really want to engage in that activity, we're not going to prevent you from doing that. But there's this distinction that we know from the 1960s, a Steppenwolf song I love that says "God damn the pusher man," Mm. and that's the line that was crossed here. This isn't just making betting available to people; this is pushing it on them hard, and that's what just should not be happening. And that's I'm, I'm part of a group called Ban Ads for Gambling, and the goal is to put it in the cannabis category. You know, have have gambling legal. But let's stop all of this pushing, especially because it's our children that are getting, you know, so much of this directed at them.
0: Do we care? Because it seems to be, and you can't tell me it's not noticeable because everybody's talking Mm -hmm. about it. But do we, Mm -hmm. are, are we talking about enough to do anything?
2: That's, you know, that's why I, I, I want to thank you so much for being on this show. There was an article published in a magazine about this and about how many people are becoming addicted, how this is becoming a new mental health crisis. And the, the um, title of that is, Where is the Outcry? And, you know, I, I, I got my students to do a project on it. And we have hashtag we the outcry because where is that outcry? So there is a bill in the Senate. Um, bill s269 to ban the marketing of sports gambling uh we are trying our best to make people aware of that bill and and to create some support you can go to banads.gambling.ca and see um get involved uh, as an opportunity and yeah i mean i hope people are as angry as you and i are and they just don't know what to do with that anger and and i hope you know, we can find a way of channeling that because we still have a chance to turn this around.
0: Is it, does this require banning this or or is it just that it's gone too far? Like, again, I I have no problem with Mm -hmm. people that want to do it. And, you know, as long as there's enough services for when they get out of hand. Um, But, but again, it's product placement, like we've never seen before, no matter what the product is. So, you know, do we need to necessarily ban it or just get some kind of rules like we do for every other industry?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm on the ban side because I think the ban signals something to people. It it signals that, hey, this is a potentially dangerous product, handle with care. Uh, And so I like that aspect of how we ban cannabis and and other things like that. Um, But, you know, the other reason, if we were going to argue more the position you would have, I would say, you know, the other side of this is that sports are supposed to be a really healthy, wholesome thing to put our kids into where they learn to interact with others. People, other humans, work together towards common yeah. goals. You know, they get communication skills, they get human interaction skills. There's so much good about putting your 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 child into a sports setting. Why should that be contaminated with? You know, a potentially addictive activity, and right now with the with the integration that you see, those two cannot be separated. You cannot sit down and watch sports with your child without exposing them to all of this. So at least, if it were a little more segregated, as you suggest, then it wouldn't be the Wayne Gretzky's and the people they admire telling yeah. them this is cool, fun, exciting. Um, you know, that would be an improvement. I'm certainly on the band side. Uh,
0: I remember when they took tobacco out of sponsorships and and athletic events where, and you know, like tennis, it was sponsored by cigarette companies at one time. And a lot of organizations were upset because they lost a lot of revenue. And we see the same for Mm -hmm. alcohol, but nobody seems to care with this. They're putting it in the same category as KFC.
2: Yeah and and it's so scary because w- with gambling and and here's the you know just a little bit of psychology behind it of why it's such a dangerous activity. Um when you gamble a little and win a couple of times you start to chase those wins. Uh and what that means is if you now lose a bunch of times in a row if that doesn't dissuade you. That doesn't make you think, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's quite the opposite. Psychologically, you start thinking that next win is just yeah. around the corner and you start chasing that win. And if things go bad, you might put a side bet to try to you know, make up for the losses that you're going to do. And that's where people get pulled in. And you hear them say things like, hey, you bet $5, we'll give you $20 or $200 of free right. bets. Why? Cuz they want you to taste those first couple wins. Once you taste those first couple wins, your brain will start chasing. And that's when the addiction starts to kick in and that's when it becomes, you know, very problematic. There's suicide sites now that have full pages based on gambling addictions because so often that is now leading people to take their own lives. Mm. So it's a, you know, it's a really serious serious issue. Some people can play it and have fun. For some people, it's much, much more dangerous, and the indoctrination that we see that just makes it seem like the next step as a sports fan to take, it just feels so offensive.
0: Steve Jordan's with us, professor of psychology, University of Toronto. You can find out more at ban ads for or Gambling.ca. That's banadsforgambling.ca. Steve Jordan's with us from U of T. Steve, as always, thanks for the time, be well. Thank you so much, Scott. Scott Rodley is here, host of the Scott Rodley Show. You can hear him after the six o'clock news. Read him in your spectator. Here's he uh, He is here now. Scott, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How was the vacation? Were you on a cruise? We were. And let me tell you, I was just telling
9: Ben, who's in the studio today, I was just telling Ben, so we were, uh, yes, we, we were down in the Caribbean on a cruise and we pull up to one of the ports and there is this giant, I mean giant sailboat that is beside us and it's you know, a, a more than a third the length of a cruise ship. And this is some private sailboat wow. and it had a nameplate on the front. So of course, you know, I don't, I just get curious and I type in to find out who it was. This was Jeff Bezos's new $500 million plaything sailboat. No.
7: <laughs> so I
9: spent the afternoon waiting for Jeff Bezos to come down the pier, which he never did, but it is, um, it is remarkable what you do when you have Billions and billions of dollars to spend that this is what you spend it on I
0: understand you got your hair braided you got beads in your hair and stuff uh, that was my scalp yeah, they just oh. they, they pulled really <laughs> tight. <laughs> All right. Where did you go? Am I being too nosy if I am telling me to shut up?
9: No, no. We went down. Well, let me just say this. For anyone listening, saying, oh, he's just bragging you, about his trip. Uh, no. You know what? You know how it's been cloudy up here, Yeah, the Caribbean has the same thing. We had yeah. rain for the first five days. Not complaining. The ship was lovely. It had a yeah. retractable roof so we could be inside and they had... Uh, food and, uh, comfortable chairs and mojitos. So we were all good, but, um, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, the Caribbean is uh, just like here, except a little warmer. So, uh, Puerto Rico and Turks and Caicos where we almost drowned, nice. it was raining so hard. I've and never
0: been there, but I hear it's great. Turks well, and Caicos. Turks
9: and Caicos, remember the story that it's like twice or three times now, there have been backbench Canadian MPs who have made a push that Canada should. Yeah. Ab, yeah. Uh, you know, absorb the Turks and Steal Caicos. It. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, well, and I, all I could think of when I was down there, cause it, it came to mind when I'm there. And so I get why Turks and Caicos would want to become part of Canada because you would then have medical care that would have to be provided as part of Canada and CPP and, you yeah. know, OAS and all these things. And I'm looking going, so what's the, what does Canada get? Yeah, we get a warm... Island that you, you get can, a
0: nice island, yeah, come but on. you can
9: travel to without a passport, but. Like I, I couldn't what, actually see, yeah, I couldn't, we can, you can do it. So how long do you have to wait to go into Jamaica or somewhere with a passport? So those extra 10 minutes are worth yeah. like, <laughs> I just, I, I was sitting there going, I'd always sort of liked the idea before as this general concept, sure. but when I was there, I was like. It's like
0: having a cottage. We need a exactly, nice hot island. <laughs> that's
9: exactly what it is. It's like having a cottage and then having a cottage is fantastic until the septic system breaks and the roof yeah. leaks and all yeah. of a sudden you got to put all this money. In into it. And I just couldn't help but think, okay, have the people who propose this ever been here? Because it's a lovely place, but it would mm-hmm. cost us so much money. It's unbelievable.
0: Well, at least you'd have a place for the prime minister to go, but but then again, it's not costing us any money anyway. All you, right. So I, I yeah, let me that.
9: ask you about that. Just I want to just jump in for one second because yesterday, for a while there at the beginning of the Super Bowl, there were tons of tweets saying that Justin Trudeau was at the Super Bowl. And I started poking around like there's no way. There's no way that he's flown yeah. to the Super Bowl. And he hadn't. He hadn't. But it seems it caught me that it's interesting that we might actually have believed that. Yeah. That we've now yeah. gotten to the point when someone puts it on no, Twitter. No, he's not that dumb. He won't do that. Uh, well, maybe he will. Uh <laughs> He's not dumb, but would it be shocking if it had happened? No, but would it be shocking? Would it have truly shocked you if you had
0: learned that he had been at the Super Bowl? No, it wouldn't have. No, it it wouldn't have been. Shocked me if I look up and see Taylor Swift in the box with him sitting next to her. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have surprised me at all. But they were
9: very, very good friends.
0: Yes, so he could accept it. So, your thoughts on this, because I thought the first, uh, like, it really didn't get exciting for me until, like, uh, overtime, and it was Taylor Swift, uh, the appearances that kept me awake. I'll, ne- I'll never forget, we had, like, a, I was uh, maybe with 30 people in a, in a basement somewhere, and then by halftime, I looked, and, like, nobody was around. Everybody was getting food. It was like nobody, you know, and then at OT, everybody came back. What were your thoughts? Uh, okay. Uh, I'll tell you about the game in one second. First of all, halftime. Did, what, what were your thoughts about halftime? I, uh, again, I'm an old guy. It's not supposed to appeal to me, but no, that's why I'm playing Rihanna because she played last year. So I'd rather play that. Than okay. Sure.
9: But the thing is, see, when you say you're an old guy and it's not supposed to appeal to you, Usher should appeal to us because he's 20 yeah. years out of date. Yeah. Yeah. And I I was shocked to learn that until the last song, I don't even know what it was called. I did not know, I like, I had never heard yeah. an Usher song before, which shocked me because usually they come on and I at least know the tunes. I, whether I'm a yep. fan or not, uh, the game, let me, let me say this. And we're going to talk about this in the second hour of the show tonight with Don Robertson. Um, I've spent most of last night after the game listening, and then all day today listening and reading people talking about, oh, this, this solidifies Patrick Mahomes as maybe the greatest quarterback ever. Mm. Patrick Mahomes was mediocre or worse for most of the game. The only Mm. reason Kansas City won is because their defense with Steve Spagnuolo, the, the coordinator calling it was so good. There are, there are 10 NFL quarterbacks who could have been playing for Kansas City yesterday and they win that game. The defense was amazing for them. And I just, I'm listening to this and going, did you even watch the game? It's like you said, Kansas City did nothing in the first half. Patrick Mahomes wasn't special. Patrick Mahomes wasn't good in the third quarter. He had what, Mm. a good five minutes, a good six minutes. And they gave him the MVP of the game. Chris Jones, the defensive end for, for Kansas City was the guy who made the difference. He was the guy who was supposed to be, but I guess that doesn't fit the, the storyline or something. I don't know what, but I just, I, I am, I have reached a point of such fatigue about this Patrick Mahomes thing. Patrick Mahomes did not win that game. The defense won that game. Patrick Mahomes was along for the ride and made a few good passes at the end.
0: All right. There you have it. Scott Radley we'll continues later. after the six o'clock news. And of course, you can read them in your Hamilton Spectator. Thank you, Scott. Have a great show. See you. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from three to six on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer. To have the last word. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. It's always greatly appreciated. And as always, we leave it to you, the tax paying customer, for the last word. This one comes via email from Gavin. The Toronto Maple Leafs need their very own Taylor Swift. Music is a great soother when you suffer so much loss. (laughs) Keep right, except to pass.
7: For most of us, crime is something we see on the news.